0: value most. As we've learned from our study of the kingdom of God, the kingdom is the realm of God and the reign of God. The reign of Jesus on earth today is in the hearts and lives of His people. One day, He will return and reign over the whole world. When Jesus talked about the kingdom... He was teaching primarily about the future time when He will return and rule over this whole earth. On the Mount of Olives, when Jesus was preparing to leave His disciples, He gave them the Great Commission. He told them to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The gospel of the kingdom, the good news, that you can have eternal life through Jesus Christ. Then Jesus ascended into heaven, and as his disciples were standing by and wondering, what do we do next? Luke records in Acts 1, And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. He's coming back. The angels said to those disciples, What are you standing around for? Jesus gave you your orders. Go preach the gospel of His kingdom. Tell people to get ready for His kingdom. That's what Jesus shared in Matthew 25. A lesson on getting ready for His coming kingdom. Folks, these are desperate times. I was looking at that video, and that person walking through that field of grain, and all did you notice all those stalks with all those seeds in the the head of that grain? Did you notice that? That represents the number of lost people. Folks, we're in a sea of lost people. If I were to ask you if I were to do a poll today and ask send out a little card and say I want you to write down anybody do you know one person and if you know more write them down people that really need Jesus they're not in church they don't serve Jesus they you, their their spiritual condition with God is in question in your mind could you write their names down we wouldn't have just 50 names turned in we would probably have hundreds of names turned in that we know because we are in a sea of lostness. A sea. We're like one boat in a sea of lostness. And they're all around us. And guess what? They're in our families, aren't they? And they're in our neighborhoods. And they're in our schools, in our classrooms. They're everywhere. We have a Christian school here at Calvary, and I give them the Word of God at chapel, and they hear a Bible story. They have a Bible class every day, and I, I listen to the conversations of young people, and I watch how they respond when I have a chapel service. And even in a Christian school, many of them are not serious about God. I know they're young, but folks, when do you get serious about God, you know? Does it take the death of someone to get you serious about God? We are in a sea of lostness, and just like those waving, those heads of grain full of seeds, folks, those are people that need Jesus. Jesus. And what can we do? All we can do is try to reach them. And guess what? We're just a small little number of Christians in the world today trying to get the good news of Jesus out in a sea of lostness. But if we don't do something, it's just going to get worse. That's why we need to pray so and grow. Because we need to get serious about sharing the good news of Jesus. Because if we don't, it'll be too late, as Quentin said. It's going to be too late one day for people that we know. Be too late when they miss heaven. Too late. So in Matthew 24, Jesus talked about watching for the signs of His return. In Matthew 25, He talked about what to do while we watch for His return. Pray so grow is about getting ready for the kingdom of Christ on earth. Pray, so grow. We pray that God, Jesus said, pray the Lord will send out labors into His harvest. We pray for God to save souls. We pray that God will give us opportunities to share the good news of Jesus with someone. We sow those seeds and when those opportunities arrive. arrive and then we grow. We grow spiritually. We grow, then those who hear the gospel and receive it, they grow. And they, we pray so grow, because that's how God's kingdom grows. It's designed, pray so grow is designed to help us develop a mindset of watching for opportunities to share the good news of Jesus to a world which so desperately needs it. It's a plan that... ...encourages us to sow seeds of the kingdom on a daily basis. Through Pray, Sow, Grow, we get ready for the kingdom by helping others get ready for the kingdom. Getting ready for the coming kingdom of Christ is what we see in the kingdom parable we examine today in Matthew 25. If you have your Bibles, turn with me there. Matthew 25, as so I bring you this message on Pray, Sow, Grow, Kingdom Ready, Matthew 25. Would you pray with me? Father, we commit our time to you today. It is a time of worship and praise. It is a time, Lord, to hear the Word. Lord, the Word as you speak it. Lord, all I can do is share those things you put on my heart. But God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would take your Word. It's your Word that's powerful, not mine. That you would take your word, that you would make it pierce the hardest of hearts. Lord, there might be someone here today or someone watching. And they don't, they're not serious about eternity. They don't even know or care about what's going to happen when they die. But Lord, I believe just before they breathe their last breath... They're going to care. and God, I pray that you'll help us reach people. Help us plant those seeds. We don't know how long it would take for those seeds to grow, but we pray help us do everything we can to plant the seeds of the kingdom so that we can prepare others for your kingdom. And in doing so, be prepared ourselves, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in Matthew 25, we see another of Jesus' kingdom parables. Jesus said in verse 1, The kingdom of heaven shall be likened. It is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. Now, Jesus made it very clear that He wanted His disciples to understand kingdom truths. And He didn't write this book just for them. He didn't give us these words. He didn't use those human authors and put those words down. He didn't do that just for the people of that day. He did it for us today, for all days. This Bible is a a living book. It is not a conforming book. It's not a book that conforms to culture. It is a living book. It is alive. It still is. The words are life. And they are good for us today as they were 2,000 years ago or thousands of years ago. This Word is good. And Jesus wanted His disciples then and now to understand kingdom truths. Folks, listen. In this life, with our human intellects, we have very little intellectual capability to understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God. That's right. I know some brilliant people today, some much more brilliant than myself But there is no one who can truly grasp the incredible nature of God's kingdom. Not with these human brains. Paul said, as it is written, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man, or the mind of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. That's why Jesus used simple stories to help his disciples understand deep kingdom truths. Just think about it for a minute. How could anybody really describe the kingdom of heaven in natural terms? I've read stories of people who died and were brought back to life. And they tried to describe what they saw in a few moments of heaven. Have you read stories like that? I've talked to people who had near-death experiences and saw a glimpse of heaven. And they had a very hard time describing what they saw. Why? Because Because God's kingdom is too magnificent, too glorious to describe in natural terms. Paul said when we think about the kingdom, it's if we are looking through a very dark glass we can't really see through it or like looking in a mirror we just all we can seem to do is just get a glimpse of it I think about people in my family who died my great-grandmother who was a godly woman when she died they said she looked up and saw said she saw angels my grandmother who was who was instrumental in me coming to Christ and being in the ministry? My grandmother, a godly woman, I loved her so much. Upon her death, I read the book of the Revelation to her right as she was dying, and her eyes that had been with that death glaze on them, she had just been that way with her mouth open, that death rattle, and that, those eyes just set all of a sudden the smile came to her face and her eyes lit up and she began to like she was scanning the sky because she saw heaven opened. Folks, these we just don't know. We do not know how wonderful it's going to be in heaven. All we really can know about the kingdom is what Christ Jesus has told us in His Word because He came from there. He made it. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells us that the kingdom is like a wedding. We talked about that last week. We talked about how the church is the bride of Christ. And one day we're going to be united with Jesus. So in Matthew 25, Jesus spoke of how the kingdom is compared to bridesmaids. Friends of the bride and groom who carried lighted lamps or torches to announce the coming of the groom for his bride. Look at the first part of chapter 25. Verse 1, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. Now, this picture is a little different than our than our weddings today we love weddings weddings are beautiful but in Bible times you didn't have a groom standing at the altar and his beautiful brides walking down the altar to him. that's not the way it was in in Bible times there was often there were often arranged marriages and they were arranged when the children were small or maybe when they were older but there was money paid between the fathers and and such as that and and then there was a procession of as the bridegroom the groom went to get his bride and take her to his home their new home and that was and that ceremony had those attendants those bridesmaids of of which Jesus was of whom Jesus was speaking and and they were carrying probably torches maybe maybe big lanterns probably torches uh, but it was light they were lighting Way so it was evening, evening, or and and so the cry was going out. Behold, the bridegroom's coming! And in Bible times, a lot of times the bridegroom was delayed, but the cry would go out, and they'd still sit around for an hour or an hour or two and wait on him. But then they there was that procession of light as the as the the bride and groom went together as he came to get his bride and they went together to their new home. And that's the the symbol, that's the picture Jesus is giving us here. And according to Jesus, there were ten bridesmaids and five were wise enough to prepare their lamps with oil and five were foolish and, and not prepared. Look at verses 5 through 10. But while the bridegroom was delayed, and, and oftentimes they were, you know, Uh, uh, they all slumbered and slept. Well, they fell asleep in the wedding party. And at at the midnight cry, wow, at midnight a cry. My goodness, now it's midnight. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Now, let's let's just kind of think about it in modern terms here. Six o'clock in the evening, you said, Here they come. (laughs) They're coming. The wedding's here. And you're all sitting there and you're all waiting. And that was at six o'clock. But sorry, false alarm. And an hour later at seven o'clock, Hey, I saw them. They're coming. They're coming. And you get all excited. And then, Oh, false alarm. They're not here. Eight o'clock. The bridegroom's coming. He's coming. Oh, wait, wait, I was mistaken. It's not him. Nine o'clock. You know, I think with every cry the bridegroom's coming, do you know what I think we'd probably be doing by the time we got to, a, to midnight? We'd be going, sure, <laughs> sure. You probably wouldn't be so perky. And that last call, and that's what happened here. I mean, it had been so many calls. The bridegroom's coming. He just didn't come. It's midnight now. And they were all asleep. I think we'd probably be asleep too. We'd f- curl over there in that pew. If we'd been waiting for six hours for the bride and the groom to come, we'd be waiting for six hours. like, And we'd be asleep. And all of a sudden, the bridegroom's coming. Oh, what? And we wake up, and w- half of us have our lanterns and, and lid, and half of them have gone out. And that's the story. You know why? Because it had been so long since the since they announced it that everybody kinda went to sleep. Can you spiritualize this with me a little bit? How long has it been since the first message went out that Jesus is coming again? How many years? Two thousand years. Do you think people are asleep today about that? They're just sleeping, aren't they? They're like these foolish bridesmaids. There's no oil in the lamp and they've gone to sleep. Sure he is. I'm telling people he's coming again. He's coming again. And people say, sure he is. You see, this is what Jesus is talking about. This is the picture we have about His kingdom. The kingdom of God is going to take people by surprise because they are not ready. They are not prepared. Now, I'm not. I'm not going to. Uh, I'm not going to expand upon this passage uh, at this moment. But Jesus is saying it is absolutely necessary. Absolutely necessary to be prepared for His kingdom. And at midnight the cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom's coming, go out to meet Him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. Well, it's midnight. Well, they went out and they tried to buy... Oil and while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Now, again, we must be prepared when he returns, and he is returning. If we're not prepared inwardly with our lamps burning, we will not enter into that wedding union. Now, in the Bible, oil was symbolized, oil symbolized the Holy Spirit. And therefore, if we're going to be ready when Christ returns, we certainly must have the Holy Spirit living within us. Paul said, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of Christ dwells in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. It is absolutely necessary we receive Jesus into our lives and have His Holy Spirit dwelling in us if we're going to be His bride and enter His kingdom. So we must be prepared inwardly for His kingdom. We must be prepared spiritually for His kingdom. But the next part chapter, of chapter 25, the, this passage, the next part talks about how we, His people, show evidence of being prepared for His kingdom through the good use of, of what he has given to us in this life. If we are prepared inwardly for his kingdom, then we're going to want to be prepared outwardly. Now now stay with me a little while. No sinner is ever saved to sit back idle when it comes to the kingdom of God. A saint of God is a servant of God. A Christian is a Christ follower. And Christ Jesus spent three years of hard labor, working as hard as He could to prepare others for His kingdom. And that is what we must do. That's our calling. If we are His faithful servants, if we're really Christ followers, we will be doing His work in this life to get others ready for His kingdom. And that's what we see in this kingdom parable what we must do while we wait for His Lord's return, our Lord's return, and it is not go to sleep on the job. That's right. Verses 14, 15. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Now, let's look at this kingdom passage. It's the truth Jesus wants to teach us first. Let's think about it. Let's get our wheels, spiritual wheels turning here. Who is the man who went on a long journey? Who do you think Jesus is referring to? Himself, Jesus. He is the one who went on a far, a long journey. Who are his servants? That's people, people everywhere, people like you and I. How long was the master going to be away from his servants? Did he tell them? No, he did not. But for us, how long has it been? 2,000 years, right? What did the master give to his servants? Talents. His treasure, his goods, a talent. Jesus called them talents. A talent was a large sum of money. It was equal to about 15 years of wages. Now think about that for a minute. 15 years of wages. What, What would that be? A million dollars? So did the master give the money to his servants to keep for themselves... Or to use? What do you think? To use. Because it was whose treasure was it? It was the master's treasure. Did the treasure belong to his servants? No. Are you with me here? The, bridegroom, the bridegroom's coming. Wake up. <laughs> No, he didn't give it to give his money to those servants so they could go use it or go do whatever they wanted to do with it. He gave it to them to use for him because it was still his treasure. And what did the man expect his servants to do with his his goods? He wanted them to work and invest and return back to him more than they received Notice that he gave to each according to his ability to use his treasure. The master expected a return. He expected his servants to take what he had given them and upon his return have something to show for their work. So why was that so important? It was not because the master needed more money when he returned. It was because each servant returned, listen to me, what each servant returned would be a measure of their respect for and faithfulness to his master. So what each servant gave back would be tangible proof that that servant had obeyed his master. Now the man entrusted his servants with money expecting them to be trustworthy with his money. To one servant he gave five talents like, you know, $5 million, something like that. To another, two talents, like $2 million. And to the third servant, he gave one talent, each according to what his master knew he was capable of doing. Now let's look at this in a spiritual light again. Let's think about ourselves here. This is what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to put ourselves in this parable. So let's think about it. The Lord Jesus knows His servants. He knows our strengths. He knows our weaknesses. The Lord Jesus knows exactly what our future holds because He has a future plan for our good. The Lord does not just have a kingdom plan for the world. The Lord has a kingdom plan for you and you and me. God's plan for us in this life is getting us ready for kingdom life in the future. In fact, anything He calls us to do now has future kingdom implications. We're not just working for the here and now. Folks, we're working for kingdom rewards. Are you still with me? Jesus said, don't lay up treasure on earth where moths eat and rust corrupts, but lay up your treasures in where? Where? I can't hear you. Where? Heaven. Heaven. So, when we are looking at this passage, we are seeing how Jesus is telling us, You, my servants. it's not about what goes on down here. This life is like a vapor. It's going to appear and vanish very quickly. The most important treasure is not here. Where is it, folks? In heaven, in His kingdom. Kingdom treasure. And that's what Jesus is saying. So put yourself in the place of one of these servants. And think about your service for your king. And see where you line up with one of these three servants. Let's examine it a little, long, little more. Verse 16. Then he, the servant, who had received the five talents, went and traded with them and made another five talents. He invested and made another five talents. Now he had five. He invested, he made five more. How many does he have? Ten. All right, stay with me now. But he who had received, and likewise he who had received two talents invested, and he gained two more talents. How many does he have? Four. But he who had received one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money, and so he had one talent, and how much did he gain? So what did he have left? One, just what his master had given him, but nothing more. More. So, which servant are you? Because all of us are there, folks. We're all there. You're there. You're there somewhere. Let me tell you something. The Bible says he's the master. He's the Lord of all. The earth is the Lord's. Read, read Psalm 24, 1 with me. Let's move the slide, please. You ready? The earth is the Lord's. Read it with me. Come on, read it. The earth is the Lord's. And all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. Who does it all belong to? The Lord. Let's read the next one, Psalm 100. Ready? Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are the people and the sheep of His pasture. This is a call for all people, all nations to serve the Lord. Now, will all people serve the Lord? No. Many people will reject the Lord. But who does the call go out to? Who, are real, who did God create to be His servants? Everybody. Everybody. Many people reject the Lord, but the call is still there for everyone to serve the Lord because He's our Creator. And it doesn't matter what the, what the evolution scientists would say. He is still our Creator. He is the creator of everything, and Jesus is our only Savior, our only Savior. Even though the majority of people in this world will reject Jesus, he still loves everyone. Jesus gave his life for everyone so that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. In this kingdom passage, what each servant did with his master's treasure was proof of whether or not he was a true and faithful servant. And it's that way for us today. Verse 19. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you gave me two talents. I have gained two more. Here's four talents for you, my Lord. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Now, notice that the master gave the same reward to the servant who gave him ten talents as the one who delivered four talents. Our Father in heaven is a just God. He knows who we are. He knows everything about us. He knows our abilities and He knows what to expect from each of us. What the Lord requires is faith. Faith. Let me tell you something. It takes faith to believe that Jesus died on the cross and shed His blood to pay our sin debt and offer us forgiveness. It takes faith to believe that Jesus rose from the dead and lives to give us eternal life in heaven when we die. It takes faith to believe that this same Jesus will one day return and bring His kingdom reign to this earth. It takes faith to be a faithful servant of Jesus Christ and live a Christian life that pleases Him when we are surrounded by so much darkness, evil, and unbelief. It takes faith it took faith for these two servants to use all their master's money not for their purposes but for his glory faith is willing to take a risk for the kingdom of god faith is willing to say i will give up everything for the glory of my savior and that's what great men and women of god have done down through the ages paul said in philippians 3:8 yet yea i indeed i also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of how many things? All things. And count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Every person who has ever followed Jesus has had to put his own interests behind for the glory of God. Folks, we cannot claim to be the servants of Christ and act like lords of our own lives. To really know Jesus and serve Jesus, we must be willing to surrender All to Jesus. Jesus said, if anyone, stay with me now, if anyone desires to come after me, let's change the slide, please. Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his what? How often? Daily. And follow me. Assuredly, I say to you, Jesus said, "There is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this present time, and in the age to come, what? Read it. Come. What's he getting? What are you getting if you are a faithful servant of Jesus? What are you getting? Eternal life. What's your greatest treasure, folks? Following Jesus, listen, is not easy, especially when the world around us is following the devil. This evil world, if this evil world crucified Jesus, what do you think they would do to you if they could? That's right. They'd crucify you. Satan has control of this world, and he's doing everything he can to destroy anything that has to do with Jesus around you. Remember several years ago? How many of you remember when they tried to take Merry Christmas out? Remember that? You remember? When the little public school up here not far from this church where they removed all anything Christmas carols that had anything to do with Jesus. You remember? Anything. Couldn't do, couldn't sing them, couldn't, couldn't sing silent night, couldn't do anything like that. Principal removed it. Huh? Do you remember that? And, and they took all down all the Merry Christmas. But then it started coming back, and people, I noticed this Christmas, I was saying Merry Christmas to everybody I could say it to. And they were saying it back. And even on the TV, they were starting to say, Merry Christmas again. Folks, Satan wants to do away with anything that has to do with Jesus. He wants to blind the world to Jesus. He he has so frightened and discouraged Christians that most are afraid to say anything about God in public. You might be one of those people. We need to start thinking again about who we really serve. Jesus took the cross with all its suffering. Can we not endure a little ridicule or embarrassment? I think we can. So what's the worst something, 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 what is the worst thing that's going to happen to you if you say to somebody, you know, Jesus loves you? What's the worst thing? They might say, ha, I don't believe in Jesus. And, and how bad, how painful is that? That's not painful, folks. It might be a little embarrassing. You, what would I say? I'm sorry you feel that way. He still loves you. Folks, listen. We are so... Can I just say it? We're just a bunch of wimps. We're just a bunch of sissies. We're not serious about it. We're not serious. You can tell that from how many people that are church members that actually attend a church anymore. We are so weak. And it's time to get strong. Now I'm not saying that about everybody. There's some people really strong in their faith. Thank God there are. You're one of the few. You're one of the few. We are so spiritually weak, and it's never going to change until we start standing up and charging the gates of hell with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's never going to happen until we start bringing Jesus back into the public. It's not going to happen until we start talking about Jesus. That's why we do this live stream all over the world. I want to tell people about Jesus. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. Jesus. But I want to not just tell them on a live stream and tell them to you at church. I want to go up to the drive through window and I want to er- order a burger and a sweet tea and I want to say, hey, Jesus loves you. I want to go to the grocery store and when I'm checking out and that poor cashier is just overwhelmed at Walmart. I mean, can you imagine what it would be to be a cashier I mean, just overwhelmed. And you get, and you get people fussing at you. Or something. Okay, and I just want to say, I hope you have a blessed day. Jesus loves you. I want to answer one of those telemarketing calls when they're trying to sell me something and, and I just hate those calls. I hate them, you know? But I want to be able to take that phone and I want to say, hey, after they give bills, say, thank you for sharing that great news with me. Can I share some great news with you? Folks, it's time to start thinking like this. It's time to be serious servants and not sissy servants. These two servants had something to show for their faith. True faith has something to show for it. James said, faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me then your faith without your works. And I'll show you my faith by my works. There's no such thing as a secret servant of Jesus Christ. When we serve Jesus, we live for Jesus. Like the two servants in our story. They invested not just his money, but they invested their lives for the master. Think about it. When they doubled the money, they could have taken the, the profit they made. and They could have run away with it or something. Or they could have just given, it back, given the principle back to the master. Said, here you go, master, you gave me five. I know I really made ten, but here's your five back, master. They could have done that, but they didn't. They had faith in their master. Their faith in their master was stronger they invested His money because they had given their lives to serve Him. They returned all the profit to Him, all the glory, because they had given their life to Him. And they loved Him and honored Him. God has given you great treasures, hasn't He? Great treasures in this life. How have you used what He has given you? How have you, you used what God has given you for His kingdom and glory. How much do you love and honor Jesus? Do you love Him enough to give Him 10% of what you have? Do you love Him enough to give Him 20% of what you have? Do you love Him enough to give, you, to give Him 2% of what you have? Just think about how much of your time, treasure, and talents are given to Jesus and how much are kept by you, and that'll be a good measure of your faith in Him and His kingdom. There are people who go to church, they don't give a dime to support the work of the church. Isn't it amazing? I don't know who people, how much people give. I never look. I don't want to know. But how sad it is. I knew somebody like that. I knew somebody. Yeah, they made a million dollars a year, and they said, you know, I, the, the, the church he went to, it, it sent him a card, a pledge card, and wanted to know, Donnie wanted to know how, how much, you know, if I would pledge to give this much to the church. And uh, Donnie, they're asking me to give a $1,000. I gave $500. is not that enough? Make a million dollars a year. I said, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. I told him so. You ought to be. Is that how much God's worth to you? Is that how much the kingdom of God is worth to you? Folks, I want to tell you something. The greatest treasure you have is not that car, and not that land, and not that house. It's not even your health and your children. The greatest treasure you have is eternal life in God's kingdom. Greatest treasure. Greatest treasure. When your master returns... And you have to give Him something. If you're you're not a servant, you're not going to give Him anything. But if you're a servant, you have to give Him something. He's going to require it. Are you going to be able to say, Lord, I gave you my life. And I don't know how many there are, but I gave your kingdom to a lot of people. How many of you are you going to say you gave the kingdom to? Are you going to give plant the kingdom? Are you going to, to say to Jesus, "Lord, you gave me eternal life and a place in heaven, but I'm sorry, I never shared that with anybody." Here's your here's your here's your one back. Or are you going to say, "Lord, you gave me eternal life and a place in heaven, and it was so important to me that I went out and I told everybody" I could at every opportunity you gave me that, that I love you and you're my Savior. And I wish that they would accept you as their Savior. Well, somebody, some people, some of those servants in heaven, when they see Jesus, Jesus is going to say, well done. You don't know, but there are hundreds of people who are in my kingdom because of you well done my good and faithful servant enter into the joy of your lord but what happens to the if you're the third servant verse 24 and 25 then he had received the one talent came and said lord i knew you to be a hard man reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed and i was afraid i was afraid of what somebody might say I was afraid of what somebody might do. I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground, and here it is. It's yours. And and how much did that third servant give back? He gave back nothing, only what was his master's. He didn't give anything of his own. We don't know how long the man was on the journey, but it was a long journey. And all the time that he was away, this third servant was just doing whatever he wanted to do, not what the master told him to do. So when the master returned, the servant proved that he had a different master. The servant was showing that man that he was his own master. He, he hid the man's money in the ground because his interest meant more to him than his master's interest. And that's the way it is with our world. People are not concerned about the coming kingdom. They're not expecting Jesus to return. They don't even believe Jesus is alive. They don't think about heaven until there's a funeral. And then they want to believe their loved one has gone to a better place. Friends, I want to tell you something. I cannot pray a person into heaven, neither can you. I cannot make a person who has lived an unprofitable life for God a true servant of God. If a person lives his life without serving Jesus, then when Jesus returns, he will have nothing of value to give to Jesus. He will be empty-handed, and that emptiness will keep him out of the kingdom. Verse 26-30. through But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servants, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have even that that he has will be taken away and cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This third servant had done nothing for his master. Just think while the other two were working for their master in faith to return to him more than he had given they had than he had given them the third servant Isn't that a picture of our world today? A world without God, without faith in God. A culture that promotes self-preservation above everything else. In this evil culture, man is God and man determines his own fate and destiny. Jesus said that is simply not true. Paul said, it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me, every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. That's everybody. I'm going to tell you some facts. This same Jesus who died on the cross, rose from the dead, and ascended into heaven is coming back again to judge this world according to His standard of holiness. And when He comes, He is going to set up His kingdom on earth. And the only people who will inherit it are His faithful servants who have given their lives and their service to Him. These two servants are going to make it. But the one will not. So who are you? Which are you? Are you, among, are you going to be among the two who inherit eternal life and kingdom blessings? Or are you like the one who's going to be cast out? Jesus said, for everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have even that that he has will be taken away and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness who will be weeping and gnashing teeth. Wow. As we said at the beginning, Christ Jesus is the man with the treasure. And people are his servants. So who has the power to give? And who has the power to take away? Jesus. King Jesus. And who has the power to open the kingdom to you? To us? And who has the power to sentence unprofitable people into hell's punishment? For a lack of faith in him. Who has that power? Jesus. So when the kingdom comes, where will you be? What will you have to give back? That depends on what kind of servant you've been. Bill Wilson is a man who pastored an inner city church in New York City. his Mission Field was a very violent place. He had been stabbed twice as he ministered to the people of the community surrounding the church. Once a Puerto Rican woman became involved in the church and was led to Christ. After her conversion, she came to Pastor Wilson. She said, Pastor, I want to do something to help with the church's ministry. He asked her what her talents were, and she could think of nothing. She couldn't even speak English, but she did love children. So he put her as one of the church's... He put her on one of the church's buses that went into the neighborhoods and transported kids to church. And every week, she performed her duties. She would find the worst-looking kid on the bus, put him on her lap, and whisper over and over the, the only words she had learned in English. I love you. Jesus loved you. I love you. Jesus loved you. Well, after several months, she became attached to one little boy in particular, The boy didn't speak. He came to Sunday school every week on the bus with his sister, and he sat on the woman's lap, but he never made a sound. Each week she would tell him all the way to Sunday school and all the way home, I love you and Jesus loved you. I love you and Jesus loved you. One day, to her amazement, this little boy turned around and stammered, I I." I I love you too. And then he put his arms around her neck and gave her a big hug. That was two thirty on a Sunday afternoon. At six thirty that night, he was found dead. His own mother had beaten him to death and thrown his body in the trash. I love you, and Jesus loves you. Those were some of the last words this little boy heard. In his short life, from the lips of a Puerto Rican woman who could hardly speak English, but who would faithfully serve her Lord. This woman gave her one talent to God. Because, and because of that, a little boy who never heard the word love in his home, Experienced and responded to the love of Jesus Christ. Would you bow with me? What are you doing for Jesus? What are you going to have to give him when he returns? When the kingdom comes, what will you be able to offer back to your king to the one who gave everything for you. Will you have treasures? Will you have people like this little boy? Or will you be empty-handed? Which servant are you? Are you the one, are you one of the two invested their lives and futures in the master's plan, or are you like the one who had nothing? To give when He returned. Jesus wants you to sow the seeds of His kingdom in the lives of others. Would you be willing to do that? What can you give? Can you stand by a door and greet somebody with a smile? Can you go to a Wednesday night children's ministry and help those children hear that Jesus loves them? Can you go to children's church? Can you sing in the choir that Jesus loves you? Can you give so that others can share? What would you be willing to do? Will you take part in praise so grow and say, Every day, God, with your help, I'll try to share something good about the love of Jesus with others. Will you join your church family and learn how to sow those kingdom seeds? Do you love Jesus enough to give Him your work, your ability? I know you're doing work every day. We're not lazy people, but are you doing kingdom work? Are you taking what you do every day and saying, God, praying, God, how can I use this for your kingdom? Maybe you need Jesus in your life. God put you in front of me today somehow so you could hear how much He loves you. He died on the cross shed His blood to pay for your sins. Would you ask Him to come into your life and be your Savior? You have no other, no other way to, to the kingdom, no other Savior who can help you. If the Holy Spirit has convicted you, why don't you say, Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. I believe You died on the cross for me. Through faith I accept that You're my only Savior. And I ask You to forgive me for my sins and come into my life, Jesus. And live in me and be my Savior. I want to follow you. I commit my life today, all of it, to follow you. All the way through this life, all the way to heaven. Thank you, Jesus, for being my Savior. If you prayed that prayer, that's a good prayer. The question is, what will you do with it? If you really meant it, if you really asked Jesus to be your Savior, it's going to be a difference. You're going to try to do the right thing. You're going to try to follow Jesus. You need to be in a church like this to give to get encouragement to follow Jesus. Lord, I love you. I thank you for the opportunities I have just to say something good about you to others. Always use my lips, my voice, as long as I live to help others know what a wonderful Savior you are. In Jesus' name, amen. While we're singing, if I can help you, I'll be here at the front and pray for you. Stand with us as we sing, Take my life, lead me, Lord take my life lead me lord take my life lead me lord make my life useful